Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Climbing the Ivy on the Fan Side of Network. This is your host, Alex Pat, alongside Adam McGinnis. We were out last week, so we are back. We have plenty to talk about regarding the Cubs and baseball. We're going to be entering pretty much the final stretch already. We're almost halfway through the season already, but no surprise when you're several weeks in and it's only 60 games. So we'll have plenty to talk about. Stick around. We got a good show for you, for you tonight. Adam, how you doing? Fantastic. Good to hear. All right, so today we're recording. It's Thursday, August 20th. The Cubs were off today. They're coming off their five-game series against the Cardinals. Two doubleheaders within that five-game series to make up the games that were lost, at least two of the games that were lost when they were supposed to play in St. Louis some time back. And the Cubs took three of five. I take that every time. Three of five in a five-game series at home, that's what you take. Though, I think it's fair to say it was kind of a grind to get those three wins. It didn't feel like, I don't want to say unsatisfying wins, because a win is a win, and the go-ahead Bodie home run to win it was pretty awesome, but, you know, they were far from dominating by any means, and, uh, you know, the Cubs, which we'll talk about in a minute, had that rough series against the Brewers, and... You know, they were running and rolling very, very well. And then the past week, it's been a bit tougher. So I think it's part of the evening out. You know, you're not going to play 800 ball forever. You're not going to play flawless ball forever. But, you know, Adam, tell me if you think this is accurate. Do you think fans are a little overreactive? I mean, first of all, it's what Cubs fans do. But, you know, it's a short season. Every game is huge. A loss feels so much bigger. And some of the struggles we've seen the past week or so, very reminiscent to the struggles of the past few years. Kind of like the, oh boy, it's this whole thing again. We've seen this movie before. Do you think that's accurate? Yeah, I do. And and we spoke a lot about that before, how this short season is going to make every game a whole lot more meaningful. Uh, And so that series with the Brewers really hurt uh, because honestly, if you flip the script on that and the Cubs are the ones who take three out of four there, I mean, I know it's still sort of early, but if that had happened, you could already almost make the case that the Brewers were a little bit buried. Uh, And sitting at 11 and 11, four games back, they still have some work to do, certainly not out of it, but I mean, an already comfortable lead would have been huge, and you would have felt so much better. But, uh, you know, I think what we're seeing is the Cubs just sort of coming back down to earth a little bit. I don't think mm-hmm. we really believed that they were going to have an 83% win rate all the no. way through the year. That just was never going to happen. But having a start like that is great because uh, it afforded the Cubs uh, this this chance to— to have a little bit of a rough stretch, but still be in good standing. And like I said, four games uh, ahead of the Brewers in first place here. So I'm I'm not too overly concerned. I think that they were due for a little bit of a rough patch like that. And as, as ugly as it was, you're right, you'll take three out of five against the Cardinals every time. That's, uh, you know, that's more than an acceptable outcome. Uh, the starting pitching, I think we saw them sort of... Uh, 
I guess to use this term again, come back down to earth a little bit. Some of them anyway, we knew that they weren't going to quite keep up what they were doing. Bullpen a little bit rough at times, but uh, we have seen some good things, though, some encouraging things out of the bullpen, too, uh, especially from Kimbrell here just recently. Yeah, absolutely, because we look at what the bullpen was in the beginning of the year, and then we're looking at it now. You're saying, you know, it's not perfect. It's really not perfect, but you are seeing it not be as bad. I mean, let's be real. It's been better. And I think part of that is David Ross's managing where he's able to put in the guys in the right situations. Jeremy Jeffress has been good. He's been getting some of the save opportunities or coming in the eighth inning like we saw yesterday. They were able to work Craig Kimbrell without getting him into a save opportunity just yet. And that save last night by Kimbrell, that was Craig Kimbrell of old. That he was, was vintage Kimbrell. Yeah, 97, 98, 99. Well, well it looks good. The, the, velocity, the velocity has pretty much been there uh, most of this year, but he couldn't locate worth a crap earlier on. But, uh, yeah, recently uh, he was really hitting his spots. And, and 97, when you're hitting your spots, is, is that's, that gas is hard to catch up to. Yeah, when you're getting more swings and misses, too, at the curveball, because if you remember, when he was throwing breaking stuff his first few outings, like he didn't get a single bite at one of those pitches. And now he's getting more swings and misses. So seeing the velocity a few ticks higher again and seeing more swings and misses and seeing some better location, you know, he hit a batter that wasn't great. But everything else, he struck out the other three guys. That was really encouraging to see, and I think it's a bit more encouraging to us just seeing the fact that the velocity was in the upper 90s. It's not like, well, he had a scoreless frame, but he was throwing 91, 92. No, he was pumping it over. So that at least shows me that he's physically okay right now. And going back to what you've said about David Ross doing a good job, I think that so far... My favorite thing about Ross is how he has managed the bullpen. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I think, you know, at a lot of times, Joe Madden's philosophy was, I need to have this struggling relief pitcher pitch here. I need him to have a good outing so it can boost his confidence. I think that that mentality uh, sort of took priority over, we need to win this game no matter what I have to do. Uh, and I think we're seeing more of that from David Ross, you know, that that winning the game is priority number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, I think that that's that's reflected in, in his bullpen management so far. You know, I, I, I was a big fan of Joe Madden, um, but that was probably one of my biggest gripes with him. And, I, and I'm certainly not alone there that that no, might you're have not. Been everyone else's biggest gripe too, is how he managed the bullpen and his thought process into why he made the decisions he did. And we're seeing a different approach from David Ross. And I think it's, it's working out very well. Well, I'll tell you this much. You remember when he was put on to try Craig Kimbrell was put on against the Royals at Wrigley field and they tried to get it to work and yeah. he gave up, two hits and then Ross said okay we're we're getting him out of there right to See, me it Joe Madden would have kept him in oh absolutely a hundred percent he would have and and his explanation after the game no matter how it went you know if he would have gotten out of the jam or if it would have blown up and given up a bunch of runs 
Madden's explanation after the game would have been I something along the lines of I felt it was important to keep him in there to let him get out of that jam for his own self-confidence mm-hmm. uh, because we heard we heard stuff like that from Joe Madden a lot. I much prefer David Ross's philosophy of I'm going to make the decisions I have to make to win the game. Yeah. Point blank. And 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 in a competitive division that's what you got to do and and maybe if the Cubs had like an eight game lead right now then then maybe you could you you'd sway more fans with that thought process but but like you said in this kind of season every single game matters and you you don't take chances no you don't you got to make sure you do everything you can to win and you want to make sure you do it in a way that could be justifiable and that's what ross has done so far to your point um so Let's look at a few other things with the team right now. I think I would have been completely okay. And I said this during the series too. I think it's fair to say that most people against Milwaukee, I would have taken a 2-2 split. Nothing really gained, nothing really lost. I think what made losing 3 or 4 really bad, to my earlier point, was it was almost a carbon copy of how the Cubs kept the Brewers in the past two years. Yeah. It was like a carbon copy of it. Get an early yeah. lead and then blow it and not be able to recover. Right. It's it's not just that they lost those games and lost the series. It's it's absolutely it's the manner in which it happened. And it just feels like every time the Brewers look like they're going to just be out of it, they they spark. Yeah. And like something you said, comes alive. Like you said, we've, we've seen this movie before. And we know how it ends. And this is a Brewer team that is now without Lorenzo Cain. They lost Mike Moustakis. They must, lost Yasmani Grandal. I mean, I'm not, and, not saying and, that there's no talent on it, but... And Christian Yelich still isn't really hitting worth a crap. No, he's struggled mightily. I mean, right now they're getting carried with Kestian Hira, who's, you know, a very young, promising player... Uh, you have some good pitchers in the rotation. Brandon Woodruff is pretty good. And then you have Avisail Garcia doing things, which, yeah, you know, whatever. But, uh, yeah, it just feels like now in this era of Brewer baseball, they could have a triple-A lineup and you can't rule them out because they just seem to find ways to get back into things. They do. I mean, you got to hand it to them. You can never really count the Brewers out until they are mathematically eliminated. No, no, you can't. And it was a lot like last year, too, where we won the first series pretty handily, or the first game of the series pretty handily, and then the rest of the series, they lost every game. You remember last year, both at Wrigley Field and at Miller Park, they won the opener and then lost the rest of the series. That's what kept Milwaukee alive. They eventually passed the Cubs. The Cubs didn't make it to the postseason, and the Brewers made the wild card game. It was a lot like that this past series. They won the first game. You Darvish brought a no hitter into the seventh inning, and they won four to two. It's like, all right, great, we're in great shape. Just finish these guys. No, they lost the rest of the way. And all one run games and very frustrating games too. Just very, very, very frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, really frustrating indeed. Um, I I am 
slightly encouraged by the fact that you know they're they're winning games and they're they're staying in first place uh, with really almost no production coming from the top of their lineup. And I just gotta think that at some point sooner than later that is bound to change. It it just has to, right? You know, it reminds me. I know football and baseball are nothing alike. And I'm sorry for any of my Packers listeners when I say this, but there are times when it feels like we're watching the 2019 Green Bay Packers where they don't (laughs) dominate. They don't exactly play amazing. Their offense can sputter out, but they still win games. They still win games. Yeah. You know, what what they did last year was sort of an anomaly, though. Because if I remember right, they went something like eight and one in one score games, which is pretty much unheard of to have that good of a record in one score games. I, I, I don't think that ever happens. And it's I think pretty much everyone agrees, maybe not some Packers fans, but that they, they were not a 13 and three team. No, I, I even had some Packers fan friends say, "Yeah, our record was better than we were." It, it You're was still pretty... better than the Bears. You're still better than the Bears. So, well, that's a low, better. lower bar. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> yeah, but you know, trying to look at this as positively as I can, you know, there are some things you really like to see. But oh yeah, I'm looking at the team stats now. I have both fan graphs up. And baseball reference. So you get a a sight of the team collectively and each individual player. And I'm looking at the stats. And there is, I know batting average is pretty overrated these days. And the Cubs do draw walks. That is one thing they do very well. But there are not a lot of good batting averages right now. And there is a lot of low OPSs. A few good ones, but... There are some guys struggling, and Chris Bryant, I think he's not healthy. I don't think he's been healthy because he got the injection in his wrist. He started off struggling heavily. Then he started to kind of pick things up. Then you had that diving catch in Cleveland. Clearly not right, and frankly, I think he should have been on the IL. That's just my opinion. Yeah, it's it's hard for us to know, and... You know, you really can only go off of you know, what the players say, too, because, you know, if Chris Bryant wants to play and he says he's fine, then it's hard. It's hard for you to argue with that, especially when you're uh, one of the faces of the franchise. But, you know, going back to something that one of our Cubbies crib colleagues tweeted, uh, uh, I think it's fair to say now that Chris Bryant might be a bit injury prone. I mean, for a while that that was, you know, that narrative was floated from time to time and people kind of disregarded it, but it's, it's kind of hard to ignore that now. He's had a lot of nagging injuries. You know, remember when he was hitting the head with a fastball? Remember when Mm -hmm. he had the shoulder issues that same year? I remember, I think in 2017, it didn't affect him nearly as much then, but he rolled his ankle that one time in Washington. And this is not a knock on Brian himself. Injuries happen. Freak things happen, but yeah, he's dealt with a lot of little nagging things. And it just, at this point, his MVP season, it it feels like it was 10 years ago. 
I mean, I, I, I know he's not that far removed from being one of the most dominant hitters in baseball, but it, it feels like that Chris Bryant was so long ago. I know. I know. And, you know, 2017, Bryant, the home runs were down, but he was still very dang good that very year. Very productive, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and even even 2017, Bryant, just it feels like we're so far removed from that guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And last year, he was very good, too. He just wasn't MVP caliber. He was all-star caliber, no question, but not quite MVP status. Uh, and, you know, this year he got off to the rough start and now he's got this injury and I don't know when he's going to be back exactly. He's They're going to try to get him back as soon as possible. I don't know if he'll be back. I haven't heard anything yet about uh, coming back during this White Sox series, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's sidelined a few more games. You know, maybe he won't be. Maybe he will be. We'll see. But it's not just Chris Bryant that's an issue right now. You can argue that Baez has been a whole lot worse, especially the past few weeks. He looks a little more like the Baez of old, unfortunately. The I, rookie I, year 2014, yeah. Right. I, I I hate to say it, but he he's looking a lot more like the undisciplined Baez that we knew early on. And to me, that's not physical. That's all mental. He's really so pressing. Yeah. I think so too. I th- I think he's just way way over aggressive right now. He's got 34 strikeouts already. That yeah. Ouch. Now here's another thing to look at too. There are a few things. One, Wilson Contreras after smashing the ball has not hit the ball well at all, but he's drawing walks. So at least there's that. He is drawing walks, but he's striking out a lot, too. A lot. And Kyle Schwarber is striking out a lot, too. He's got four home runs. He's got a 356 OBP. Kind of looks like typical Kyle Schwarber. Um, I think he's a little better than that. I think, you know, he's not going to be an average hitter, but I think he's better than 227. And, you know, I think the OPS will be around the 800s when it's all set and done. It's at 782 now, but he's striking out a lot. Uh, you look at the strikeout numbers overall, they have the highest strikeout rate as an offense at 28.2%. I mean, they're striking out a lot. They they are, and it it's... It makes you wonder how they're 16 and 8, but you know, it's it's like I said, you've got all these really really ugly numbers coming from the team as a whole and yet they're 16 and 8. So I I keep thinking that, you know, at some point their their luck is bound to change and these these otherwise good hitters are are going to start performing as they normally do and and they're going to they're going to be an even better team, but it, like usual post 2016 this is a very confusing team yes a very frustrating and confusing team they they make you scratch your head they make you wonder how they're pulling certain things off despite how they're performing it's it's all very weird i think the last notable weakness on this team that we have to mention before we get into some of the reasons why they have been winning some actual good reasons to me one of the biggest problems on the team is their depth is just not there position player wise. Jason Kipnis so far has been fantastic. 282, mm-hmm. 408, 564, an OPS of 972. He has been very, very good 
in his role. But Albert Almora, the guy's a defender. He's good in the outfield. He's not yeah. going to hit the ball. No. Josh Fegley, he's a backup catcher. He's not going to hit the ball. He has one hit all year, and that's a home run in garbage time. You're not going to want to use him off the bench or to DH. You don't want to use any. I mean, he's not a hitter. Just pure and simple. Um, we just got up Hernan Perez, and he's another guy that's a very solid defender, but he's not going to hit. And then Steven Souza, until he got hurt, that Brewer series, he was actually starting to hit the ball again, but he got hurt. But before that, he wasn't hitting anything. So it it's a shame because he it looked like he was just starting to get back into the groove of things at the plate, and then he gets hurt. So there's there's an issue right there is that you just don't have a lot of depth to get in there and be reliable at the plate. Boy, you know who would be nice to have right now? Tommy LaStella. Tommy LaStella. You read my mm-hmm. mind. I'm yep. sure anyone listening, I, I, I would guarantee that that's exactly where their mind went to. Oh, yeah. Sure. I mean, the, guy's, the guy has been a stud for the Angels so far, uh, which is... You know, not saying a lot because the Angels, <laughs> quite frankly, have stunk, uh, which I am disappointed to see. I, I'm sure some people find that funny, some Cubs fans, but I I wanted Joe Madden to succeed in L.A. I still I hope too. he does. I did too. Uh, it does feel like that's an Angels team that's underperforming, though. I mean, I, I didn't expect them to be world beaters and win that division or anything, but I I did think they would be better than 8 and 17 by this point. Yeah, it's it's not good. It's not good and it's just a shame because you're wasting more on Mike Trout. Uh, it's criminal. It is absolutely criminal the way Mike Trout's career has gone. I know. I I mean we we talk all the time about baseball's lack of popularity amongst a younger audience and I just I really think that Mike Trout being in the postseason regularly would have done wonders for baseball's audience. I agree. It, it would it would absolutely it would boost the numbers. You would attract younger fans. Uh, and, and another thing that we mention quite frequently uh, is MLB's lack of marketing, or at least their lack of good marketing. Uh, and people say all the time, you know, oh, I don't know why they don't market Mike Trout better. But honestly, it, it's hard to market a player who's almost never in the postseason. I mean, that's that that aspect of it is not really on the MLB because, I mean, you 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 got to market players who can be champions, and and Mike Trout is just does not have the surrounding cast that can get him into postseason baseball, and it's no, it's, it's hard it's hard to really prop up a star who doesn't get to play any games that matter. And think about this, too. If the Angels are really good and they were contending year in, year out, you know, you're in Los Angeles, Anaheim. That's a big market. Yeah. You know, a lot I of mean, exposure right there. It's You're talking about the Michael Jordan of baseball never getting into the playoffs. Right. It's a shame. He's only been in the postseason once. And, and you know, he's still in the prime of his career, so mm-hmm. and there's time for that to change, but the clock is ticking, and it, it's just frustrating to think about what could have been. I know. It, it hurts. 
because it's to me impossible to dislike Mike Trout. Right. It, I mean, it it really is. The, it, he's he's got a fun personality. There's absolutely nothing controversial about him. Uh, only good press. Right. But we never get to see him in October, and it's down just to a earth shame. too. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just the yep. guy. Yeah. Just the guy. Yeah, he's that's that's another frustrating aspect of it is just as a person, he is exactly the kind of person the league would want kids looking up to. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, he may not be Mike Trout, but one of the big reasons the Cubs are doing what they're doing record wise right now is because their MVP is named Ian Happ and he has been awesome. So happy to say the least. Me too. I wanted him to succeed so bad. Yeah. Going to Friday, 315, 438, 671 slugging, and an OPS north of 1,000. Six homers. That leads the team. He's crushing it. He's been the only consistent hitter on this squad. I think, you know, if Ian Happ keeps going the way he's going, you got a legitimate case for comeback player of the year. Sure. Sure. He was in the minors most of last year. Right. Right. After after, you know, being opening day uh, leadoff man the year before and then, yeah, having really almost no role for a lot of last year. Uh, and now he's the Cubs most reliable hitter. It's a really good story. And I'm 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 really happy for the guy because he is so easy to root for. Uh, and, you know, everyone's pulling for him. It's it's nice to see that he's been so productive. Uh, and he's he's really when it when it comes down to it, he's just looking like the player we knew he could be. Yeah, I think there is a lot of promise there all along, but people were wondering if that promise was ever going to be fully fulfilled. You know, we saw a lot of long swings and misses. Remember when he kind of looked like he was swinging a big driver club more than mm-hmm. a baseball bat, and it just yeah. wasn't catching up to some of those pitches. He always had very good plate discipline. It's just he needed to make more contact with pitches in the right. zone. Right. He he did have a pretty glaring hole in his swing, to put it mildly. I also think it's fair to say that he is far and away better from the left side. Oh, without a doubt. I almost yeah, I mean, kind of want to just say, ditch the righty and just bat lefty. Yeah. I mean, that's easier said than done, I think, sure. when you're facing a lefty pitcher. But yeah, I mean, we really, we don't even have to pull up the numbers to confirm that. If you've watched the games, then it's it speaks for itself that, yeah, he's much better from the left side. He's had the few ugly at-bats he has had, a number of them were from the right side. Yeah. We saw in game one of the Cardinals series, bases loaded one out, and he struck out from the right side on three pitches. And very kind of tentative-looking swings. It wasn't like a check swing. It went all the way around, but it was, you know, just kind of like he half thought about it and then said, you know, crap, I got a swing. Where when he's batting from the left side, he just looks so confident in there. And from the left side, he's able to shoot it to the uh, to left field, too. So he's able to shoot it the opposite way. Kind of nice to see. Kind of reminds me, Zobrist kind of had the same thing going on, didn't he? He, Where he was much more productive from the left side, or do I have that backwards? 
I remember him being better from the left side. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but when I think of a lot of his big hits, including the one in Game 7 of the World Series, a lot of those I remember were from the from the uh, left side of the play. Yeah, yeah. yeah I have to look at those splits, but yeah. Maybe, maybe that's... Maybe that's something where David Ross steps in and says, "Hey, maybe, why don't you why don't you just try batting from the left side for a while?" Maybe. Maybe. I I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. How often do we see that where a switch hitter is just so good from one side where somebody just says, "You know what? Just bat from that one side?" Because I really can't think of any. Yeah, I want to say never. Nothing comes to mind. I can't. I can't think of any switch hitter that that doesn't bat from the opposite side of whatever the pitcher arm is. I. You certainly weren't going to tell Chipper Jones that. That's for sure. No. No way. But he's been great. He's been a main source of their success, and the other source of their success greatly has been the top three in the rotation. You Darvish right now is one of the top pitchers in baseball. He's got a 180 ERA, a fielding independent pitching of 2.01, a strikeouts per nine of 10.2, walks per nine of 1.5. He's throwing strikes. He's getting swings and misses. He's not getting hit hard, and he's not walking people. Let's hope that continues. I really hope it continues. So... You Darvish has got to be another comeback player of the year candidate. If he's if he keeps going on this route, I right. think so. Yeah. I mean, he was he was really pretty good in the second half of last year, uh but the numbers overall to finish the season were just mediocre at best. So if if he if he has if he finishes this short season with decent numbers, he's he's got to be a top candidate as well. Yeah, if you keep going like this, absolutely. In addition to him, Kyle Hendricks is Kyle Hendricks. He's having a typical Kyle Hendricks year. Yeah, which is very good. No complaints there. And then John Lester. So John Lester, he's kind of doing the thing he's done for the most part. Grind. He's grind. You look at the FIP versus the ERA, you see some pretty notable differences. He's not striking out a lot of guys, which you don't expect anymore. That's just not his game anymore. Um, I love John Lester to death, and I hope he can keep doing what he's doing. But there is go—you are eventually going to see some games where he is just going to get rocked. And I, I hate saying it, but you just look at the FIP at 440 and the ERA at 274, the strikeouts per nine at 5.5. And, you know, he's not walking people 1.6 base on ball per nine. So the command's pretty good. But, you know, eventually some of those contact outs are going to land in for hits. That's when you have a lot of contact against you. Just the rules of evening out are going to play in. So you can have a start where John Lester is getting some hard contact. But for outs, then you're probably going to have a start eventually where he is going to get some soft contact and make some good pitches but just kind of by the law of regression and evening out, you know, they're, they're going to fall on grass. Right. You, you, you got it exactly right. Uh, the peripheral numbers suggest that he's way over, you know, his, his ERA is much lower than it probably should be. Uh, 
some hard contact happening. Uh, his, his strikeout per nine rate is the lowest it's ever been in his career, albeit in a short sample size so far. Uh, location has not looked great. So th- there, there is some... There is some evidence that suggests that maybe he is getting pretty lucky. Uh, And I think, like you said, sooner or later that's bound to even out. Uh, We're going to start to see his ERA and some of these other numbers actually reflect how he's pitching. Uh, I don't want to say that I'm worried about that because I I think that John Lester is still more than capable of being... Uh, a reliable starter in this rotation, of course. But, but I do think I do think he is in for somewhat of a rude awakening here pretty soon. Yeah, and this is not me saying he's actually terrible. You know, no, no, no. Building independent no. pitching is going to naturally look higher when you're giving up more contact, right. even if the contact isn't necessarily hard. He's just not missing a lot of bats, and we don't expect him to miss a lot of bats anymore. That's right, just not right. the type of pitcher he yeah. is. I, I don't want anyone to to take this as me saying that he like he's washed or anything, because I'm certainly not saying that. All I'm saying really is that I don't think he's a a 2.7 ERA pitcher. I, not I, at this you know, point in his career. No, no. And it's not, not an it's, indication of talent. He's just old. What no. can you say? It's yeah, it's, it's only natural. Yeah. Father time always wins. Now, going forward, you know, we're, we're talking about where John Lester could be in a rude awakening and we'll just kind of tie this in with going forward. You know, He's about to face a White Sox offense that is mashing <sighs> right yeah. now. Yeah. They are destroying the baseball. I would not be surprised if that was one of those games he just got just a blow-up game. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's he's due for a blow-up game. Every pitcher has one. Johns is coming. I I hate to say it. I mean, and you know me, you know my opinion on the White Sox, so you know how much it must hurt me to say, (laughs) I think I was wrong about this team. Yeah, I think you were. Look at the firepower that team has. It's, it's, you can't deny it. I, I can't sit here and deny that I was wrong about the White Sox. I think they're good. Yeah, and they're only going to get a lot better. This is just the beginning for them. Luis Robert, my God, is that guy something. Man, and did you see Lucas Giolito's last start? I saw the box score. I didn't see, like, it. Just pure domination. Yeah. And they have a lot more pitching in the, the pipeline, too. You saw Dane Dunning the other night. I don't know if he's going to be a starter again soon. They just kind of called him up for a need, but he's, you know, he's going to be there eventually. Mm-hmm. And, and we're going to have to face Dylan Cease, the former Cub farmhand. And it's, you know, like you said, too, that the fact that guys like Moncada and Jimenez are most likely only going to get better mm-hmm. is really a frightening thought. <laughs> They're going to be a force for quite some time. And Abreu, uh, Jose Abreu is kind of like their Rizzo in a way. He is. 
I, he really is veteran guy who consistently puts up very good numbers and mm-hmm. is kind of the leader of the team or one of the leaders of the team. Yeah. He was there from the very beginning. Yeah, he you could draw a lot of parallels between the two. And, you know, the White Sox, you know, they, they're they going to have to fill some holes as time goes on. But if you're seeing, you know, mashing from the offense early, then that, you know, that shows you what they're capable of. And, you know, the White Sox this year, they've had some highs and lows, but that's that's natural for a young team that's trying to learn. Mm-hmm. But we've seen the peaks of where they can be. And, yeah, it's it's something. And I just I don't think that. You know, maybe I'm completely wrong. Maybe I'm completely wrong. But I feel like John Lester facing this team is not the best matchup. If if he was going to have a blow-up game here soon, it's the White Sox would probably be... They would probably be the team. I will say this. I think it's very good for the city of Chicago that both of the teams are competitive and good. Sure. Absolutely. I think it's good for the, you know, the city that baseball interest is at a real high. I mean, because it's 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 been a while since that the inner city rivalry actually meant more than just the two teams going at it in the same city. I, I think that it, there's there's an extra level to it now that both teams could get into the postseason. Man, a White Sox Cubs World Series would be pretty cool. We could see it someday. We, we could. really could. It's not far fetched at all. You could see it this year. In in this crazy season, I don't see why not. I mean, I think that they're not in first place. I don't think. I think the Twins are still. They still have them. But I mean, you you only have to get second in your division to make the postseason, and then at that point, it's really just who gets hot at the right time. So right, it could ha- it could happen, but. Yeah, I, I I think it's just cool for Chicago that both of those teams are competitive. Yeah, it's, it is it's very gonna, cool. It's going to make this upcoming series even more heated, I think. And remember, they finished the season against each other, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. that's 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 going to be a biggie, yeah. I hope, anyway. It, it should be. Both teams will be in the mix. Even if the Sox and Cubs go in slumps, you know, they're in a position where they can still be okay i mean it's crazy to think the white Sox were sub 500 on saturday but they've won five in a row and they are just coming in scorching hot so you know the cubs are the cubs are going to have to start hitting because the white Sox can score runs and they can score a lot of them Mm -hmm. yeah i mean they're they're sitting at uh plus 19 run differential right now so i mean that's the indicator was there that they that they were going to sort of heat up here and and they have and man i'm pretty nervous about this series Uh, you know sometimes you can just feel it when you think the cubs are going to get swept and i i hate to say that this this feels like a pretty dangerous series coming up yes it does yes it does what what this really feels like is uh four days from now the division standings might look a little different yeah we'll see you know i don't want to be totally down on the Cubs I just think that they're running into the White Sox maybe at the wrong time and you know they have their best three arms going the Cubs do in this series but when you look at it it's like well John Lester like I said might not be the best matchup for it and Darvish and Hendricks you know it 
I know preseason doesn't mean anything, but the White Sox tagged up Darvish pretty good in the preseason. Maybe he wasn't giving it his all, but, you know, they'll come in confident, that's for sure. And, you know, Kyle Hendricks's numbers against the White Sox, I've looked at them. They're they're not awful. They're not great. So it, it kind of feels like one of those things where I'm telling myself, you know, you should be confident because you're technically the better team. But are we really, though? Are we really the better team? I'm not so sure. Well, I mean, there is something to be said for, for the momentum of a team where the Cubs are a once very good, almost dominant team uh, from a couple years ago, two or three years ago, four years ago, uh, that feels like they have sort of stagnated a little bit. Uh not quite as good as they were, and they're just sort of staying afloat. Whereas the White Sox are a team that have have been kind of bottom dwellers for the last few years, but they're drastically on the rise. So I think that there is something to be said for that momentum there, because uh, like you mentioned, I, I think that the White Sox just have a confidence right now that oh, they're I'm confident not sure. all right. I, the White Sox have a, a a level of confidence right now that I'm not sure the Cubs really could match at the moment. Well, it's kind of like a few years ago when it was the other way around. In 2015, mm-hmm. the Cubs had all the confidence as the young right. upcoming team, that's, and the White that's, Sox were just a hodgepodge of washed-up veterans. That's that's exactly that's exactly where I was going with that. Is that you know what the 2015 Cubs were? Kind of feels like that's what the White Sox are right now, mm-hmm. and it's you sort of flipped the script a little bit here. Yeah, I mean, look. The energy that that White Sox team has right now with Tim Anderson, and Tim Anderson is destroying every pitch in sight. Yeah, it's the, there. There are some weird parallels there, aren't there? With Abreu kind of being the the Rizzo of that team, and Anderson kind of feels like the 2019 Baez of the White Sox. Mm-hmm. Sure. And then you know, one of the worst things about the series is. You just have that feeling Aloy Jimenez is going to remind you, like he did last year, that <sighs> you traded him. Yeah. It's... You remember last year? Oh, yeah. It's, I'm sure that for White Sox fans, it's quite poetic. I was. Uh, I remember when that home run happened. Didn't and... feel good, did it? No, but here's the thing. Every, whether you were a Cubs fan, a Sox fan, or just a baseball fan, you knew that was coming. Yeah. You felt it, that it, coming. It, it just felt inevitable, didn't it? it yeah, it did. It but, did. I mean, you, you could have bet any amount of money in the world on that, and you, you, knew, you knew you were going to make profit there, huh? And now we're going to have to face Dylan Cease. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. He's going to carry a no-hitter into, like, the eighth inning or something, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right, right. <laughs> yeah. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be big news, too. I, I can see it now from at ESPN. Dylan Cease, once big prospect in the Cubs organization, now has a no-hitter through eight against the team. It's, I can see it now. It's just bound to happen. Yeah, I know. I know. It's, I... it's, it's so hard because, on the one hand, you want to root for the guys and, and be happy for them that they're succeeding, but when it's happening against the Cubs, it's just like, ah. And the fact that the trade is looking a bit more lopsided as time goes on. Uh, yeah, well, it kind of felt that way even initially a little bit. 
but yeah, it's, it's definitely worked out more to the White Sox advantage. There's no denying that. I mean, if we got the White Sox, Jose Quintana, and he helped us win another World Series, frankly, I wouldn't care. I mean, I, yeah, well, that's the thing is I, I think we all sort of knew that it was maybe just a little bit lopsided at the beginning, but we were we accepted that and we were okay with that because we knew what the results could yield, but it hasn't really worked out quite that way for us. And so, now, yeah, now it hurts even more. Yeah. And it'll hurt more when Aloy Jimenez hits a go-ahead grand slam over the batter's oh, eye. Don't Every... even say that, man. Oh, man, I know this don't is a Cubs show. And probably our listeners are thinking, these these jerks, these guys, yeah. why are they talking about our team like this? No, <laughs> we're speaking truth, though, aren't we? I mean, we're speaking our honest fears, but, you know, maybe it'll go okay. We'll, we'll have to revisit this conversation a week from today. And we'll talk about, yeah, remember how we, we called that Eloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease were going to absolutely dominate the Cubs? It happened. Yeah, exactly. Now, here are a few things the Cubs do have going for them going into this series. Um, you know, they've they got their three best starters, as I've said. Wilson Contreras has destroyed White Sox pitching over the years. I'm sure people remember his multi-homer games against them. He's hit a few grand slams, including uh, one off Lucas Giolito, who they won't be facing. Um, so uh, they they won't have to worry about Lucas Giolito. Thank God. But they will have to deal with Dallas Keuchel, and that is not going to yeah. be easy because Keuchel has been their best starter, and he's the type of guy the Cubs have trouble hitting, a lefty that doesn't necessarily throw hard. But this would be a great time for the Cubs to kind of work out of their offensive woes and start yes. hitting the ball hard again. Especially the top of the order. This would be a great opportunity for the top of the order to actually perform like they're at the top of the order. No kidding. No kidding. Honestly, if they if they took two out of three in this series, I would be more than happy. Oh okay. yeah, I'd be I'd be elated. Yeah. Heck, just at the very least, just win one. And I know we're treating a young, inconsistent White Sox team like the 27 Yankees. And I know they're that dangerous, makes though. they are dangerous and they're yeah. confident. And look, you know, not to try to go to meatball here, but I, I this is going to be my meatball take of the of the, the night. I think the White Sox care more about beating the Cubs than the Cubs care about beating the White Sox. I I think that's fair to say, honestly. I don't really like having to admit that, but I don't think you're I don't think you're far off. And I I think that 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 sort of goes back to what we were talking about about just about the confidence levels of these teams where the Cubs are a roster that on paper is absolutely good enough to make a serious run, but they just sort of feel like they're, you know, having to really fight to stay afloat whereas the White Sox feel like the sky is the limit. And they're mm -hmm. just a really young, energetic team that's probably excited to just start being in the conversation here. So this is this is like the definition of a trap series for the Cubs, I think. And while the White Sox had a lot of hype around them, I still think it's fair to say that there's really not much pressure on them right now. Kind of like the 2015 Cubs. There was a lot of hype about their upcoming, but the pressure wasn't really there and they were able to carry that to 97 wins in a trip to the NLCS. 
Exactly. Now, I took a poll on Twitter, very, very brief, uh, just a few hours ago, so we didn't get a whole lot of results. We got 43 votes. And basically, I asked, uh, how do you feel about the Cubs heading towards the end of the month? And the options were great, were great, pretty good, so-so, a bit nervous. And the results, 77% said pretty good, 9% said great, were great, 14% said so-so, Nobody said a bit nervous, which is a little little surprising to me, but I think it's fair to say that a lot of people regarding the Cubs are feeling decently, but they kind of recognize that there are some flaws despite the great start. There are some flaws, but their good start has allowed them to be put in a pretty good position and where you can recognize the fact that if some of these guys get hot, then the next thing you know is they could start looking dominant again. So, I, you know, the so-so pretty good is kind of where I'm feeling, but I, I, I do have some reservations. I'm not saying we're bad. I'm not saying we're going to completely fall apart. I think there is a way they could still keep going. But, I, you know, you look at an 800 winning ball club. I mean, first of all, that's not sustainable, period. But here's the thing. People... Early on, we're trying to compare this team to 2016. And even if some of the numbers looked similar in a small sample size, I still thought that was asinine. The 2016 team, even at this team's best, was still miles better. Miles, miles better. Right. I mean, it's. I think it's fair to say that that team was sort of an anomaly. I mean, that's that's the sort of success that you you just see every once in a great while i mean they put up historical numbers right no matter no matter how good of a job you do building a squad it's that level of success is just not sustainable ever really for any team i mean that's but i i think we knew that or at least we should have known that but uh going back to your poll um I, I'm I'm kind of surprised that nobody voted for a bit nervous, Me uh, too. because I I'm sort of in that camp, but I you know it, it it's weird because I can't really firmly plant my flag in any one of those categories. Uh, I certainly don't feel great. That's I really I'm not in that territory at all. I'm, I'm actually surprised that that got nine percent. I I can't believe that nine percent of people feel great about the Cubs going forward because I don't uh, I'm sort of partially in pretty good partially in so-so and partially in bit nervous I know that that's a really boring conservative answer uh, but the bullpen as a whole makes me a little bit nervous the tendencies of the rotation lately make me a little bit nervous uh, but just the fact that I think it's inevitable that the top of the order is going to start performing better that makes me feel good-ish so yeah, I'm I'm I would say I'll, I'm I'm in between there, I guess. So I, I'll I'll make my answer so so. Yeah, that's totally fair. That is totally fair. I think if we go over the next week and the Cubs can at least play 500 ball, we'll feel you know better. Mm-hmm. They they put themselves in a position where they can play 500 ball for a bit, and you know you you go back to last Friday. It's like okay, you lost three against Milwaukee, you lost two against the Cardinals, but you know, you won four against Milwaukee and St. Louis. 
that's pretty much 500 right there. Um, it's not like you went one and eight or something, but yeah. you know, it's again, it's some of the trends that is more of the worrisome, you know, but you, you need some of these guys to start hitting again. You need buys to hit again. You need to get Chris yeah. Bryant healthy yeah. and hitting again. You need to get Contreras hitting the ball again. And maybe that'll happen this series since he's done very well against the white Sox. And you hope your pitching rotation can keep it together for the most part. And you hope that Craig Kimbrell can continue to climb upward. Yeah. As it looked like he has his past few few outings. And and you know what the Cubs need to do, it, it obviously it sort of all hinges on what the Brewers and the Cardinals are gonna be doing. Uh because you know, it, it, if either of those teams or both of them start to really heat up and they start winning a lot of ball games, then at that point you're you're looking at the Cubs and going, okay, it's time to pick up the pace a little bit here. These guys are catching up to you. Um, but, you know, if if the Brewers are going to continue to be just sort of a 500 team and the Cardinals as well, then, yeah, you'll you'll take the Cubs going on a, a 500 pace here for a while. But if those teams start to heat up, then you, you get some added pressure there. And I really just hope that we don't get to that point where we start to have to really drastically worry about when the Cubs are going to start picking up production a little bit. Yeah, we don't want to be saying they need to wake up, this guy needs to wake up, this guy needs to start hitting again, this guy mm-hmm. needs to start pitching again in several weeks. You don't want to be saying that over and over I, and over over the next few weeks. Yeah, we, we've got way too many guys in that category right now. Yeah, for sure. If there is one more thing I want to say on this show to end on a positive note, I just want to say this very quickly, and I'm sure you can, you know, add to this too. I just want to give my tip of the cap to Albert Alzale the other night against yeah. the Cardinals. He looked great. Yeah, he did. I mean, it's in a in a spot start like that, you really can't have any expectations at all. You just sort of get what you get. Uh, but that was that was really great. I'm I'm happy for him. I uh, and who knows? Maybe maybe he could have a more significant role with the team going forward. But uh, yeah, I would, I really liked what I saw. The one run that scored was on a really bad error by Anthony Rizzo. Mm-hmm. If that play's made, he would not have given up that run. He went five innings, no earned runs, only gave up two hits, only one walk, and struck out six. For a young kid that hasn't made a lot of starts in the big leagues, impressive. The fastball was in the mid-90s. He threw some off-speed stuff. He missed bats. It was great to see. It was. I'm I'm really happy for the guy. So let's hope he can be a force on this team in the near future and beyond. And let's hope the Cubs can show up big this weekend against the White Sox because they are going to need to against the red-hot, confident White Sox Mm -hmm. team gonna need it but but with that said with that said i want to really look at everything optimistically because as rizzo said the other week we don't know how much longer we're going to be together and i just if if things are going to be kind of broken up soon i just want it to end on a good note you know what i mean yeah i i feel the exact same way So fingers crossed on that. That is just about going to wrap things up, I think. That's going to wrap things up here on Climbing the Ivy. I want to thank you all for listening. 
Adam, I want to thank you as always for joining on and being the co-host. I want to remind you all, you can check out Cubby's Crib at cubbyscrib.com. You can also check out their Facebook page, Twitter page, and Instagram page. You can also check out this podcast and the rest of the episodes on iTunes.com. Until next time, he's Adam. I'm Alex. Have a great night.